1: we have something extra special and a little bit unexpected for you. As part of the Plymouth Festival of Words, James and I recorded our first ever Histories of the Unexpected live, and you can now download it on iTunes for just 99p at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected
2: live. If you download it, you will hear about the history of signatures, which of course is all about the reign of Henry VIII, forgery and rebellion you'll also hear about the history of clocks which is about the industrial revolution and how could we forget it the history of the reformation
1: everything's about the reformation with you and it's also of course about nuclear
2: weapons and the titanic of course it is so everybody go to itunes today and download our special histories of the unexpected live or go to historyhit.com forward slash unexpected live
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 38 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio-googling through history, exploring the histories of things you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the history of
2: umbrellas, duvets... And what does that say? Mats. Mats. <laughs> yes. The history of mats. Right. It came to me. Okay. It's all about. It's all about soft furnishings, and mm. carpets. Yep. The history of magic And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, Sam, and crucially how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, of the history of horns? The history of horns is in fact all about. Poison, hmm. the world turned upside down, hmm. and crucially, infidelity.
1: Nice. The man sitting
2: opposite me is the crustacean of chronology. He's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the head honcho of heritage. It is the truly wonderful <laughs> Dr. Sam Willis.
1: Together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted, frankly, highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week, one of us takes the lead. This week, it's James's turn.
2: James, what you got? Well, This week, inspired by my recent three-week research project at Powderham Castle Mm. in Devon uh, with the University of Pennsylvania, Penn Design and Plymouth University, it is bookcases and inspired by a particular bookcase uh, that I'm going to talk to you all about a 1740 John Channon uber bling Bookcase. It's interesting because we record this in your study,
1: and yes. we're often in my study. And we've done boxes, we've done books, we've and done desks, done desks, letters, pens, and letters and pens. We've done lots of kind of obviously stuff. But I was really excited
2: to to, to think about bookcases. Yeah, yeah, me I think too. they're great. I have in here. I have five five and a half Billy bookcases. Mm. Um, some of them double stacked, some of them not. They are uh, they are a mess. This is my. This is this is my mind.
1: Yeah, the the <laughs> chaos of your mind. I mean, you've got novels. We've talked about this before actually. We talked about we? the
2: study. Yeah. I've
1: talked about the study. Yeah. Um one of the things that kind of comes to my mind is death. <laughs> death. <laughs> to
2: death. To the, death. He People. sits in my office,
1: looks at my books, and yeah. he thinks of death. Um, I I'm literally groping into the past here, into my own past, but I remember sitting um with my supervisor when i was doing my phd in his new study in his house and he um he told me the story about um about uh was it a, a I think it was a, a composer who was killed by a falling bookcase oh. and that there are several other examples in history of people dying from uh, death from bookcases I, I don't have any of those to mind so if you're listening please find out about this what what on earth was I thinking
2: about but- health and safety were very concerned about this when I moved into my new office with well, like 5,000 books right. that needed shelving and they had to screw they had to put wooden battens along the wall and screw these big metal bookcases in because they were so heavy hmm. Yeah, interesting well tell me about Powderham then
1: Poudram well, before
2: we get to powderum, I, oh, okay. I want to talk I want us to just think about the bookcase all oh, right but apart from death you know as a apart from death I mean the prehistory of the bookcase is of course the box right B- the bookcase is rel- a relatively so you need to have books a to relatively have a well I mean you know when when do we first find bookcases being built in the in the you know and it, a lot of it is connected to the rise of print and actually having books to put on bookcases. It's then about the ordering of bookcases. It's about the display mm. of bookcases. If you look at. So obviously um, about the production of books as well. So
1: if you, you've books, got to have. You've got to be able to produce enough books cheaply enough to be
2: able to have a bookcase with yeah, 100 books in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and before that, people would have had fewer books and they would have kept them in boxes or trunks. Um, and so, so the prehistory of the bookcase is the box hmm. um and you know i mean the whole there's a whole you know world of research around the history of the book the bookcase is a, is a small part of that we should do you know the book the book plate the bookmark the page print the library reading yeah. readers we should do all of those as separate so i suppose once you have a bookcase the
1: next stage up is having a room which is full of bookcases yeah. which is yeah. where it becomes Exa- it becomes
2: yeah. a library exactly uh, and we can talk about that, you know, in a little bit. But back to Powderham. Um, so part of this, part of the project that we've been doing, is we've been going through all the archives at Powderham. We've been looking at maps and plans and correspondence and diaries, coming up with all sorts of stuff. We've got this super dupe team uh, from Pen Design. They are one of the world leaders in effectively above ground archaeology, right. and they are basically studying the inside of the of the of the castle um brief history of the castle they're, they're looking at it. so
1: it's just on the banks of
2: the uh, Ex just, just at the back just at the banks of the excess just outside of exeter uh 1392 yeah um uh, it's a medieval hall there's a big sort of 18th century it has an interesting history um under the tudors uh civil war um it is it is un- under siege um, the Courtney family uh, move out. Um, they move back in at the very beginning of the 18th century in 1702. And what we see is a fascinating sort of building history. So what we're doing, the project is basically, you know, looking at that building history mm. in the 18th century. So the emergence of the of the Georgian house. Um, and there are three generations. There are some fascinating uh, family histories. We've got we've got Viscount One, Two, II, and Three. Viscount Two has fourteen children, um, thirteen daughters to marry off. So there's this amazing, uh, you know, family story there. Um, and um, it's at this time that they build a lot of the a lot of the the sort of new accommodation. They put in a music room um, and importantly a library. Mm. Um, and it's at this point in 1740. That these amazing um, bookcases are are built, and you can see them here. Yeah, you know they are enormous. I've got the dimensions here somewhere. They are they are almost four meters high. They are two and a half meters wide, and importantly, they are over a meter deep. Wow! Um, you get a lot of books. And in And You could get a lot of books in that. They're beautiful-looking
1: things. They they are they've obviously been made for
2: display. They're they're substantial. Um, i mean they 've been made by a by a master cabinet maker mm. uh who lived in exeter um here made in seventeen forty we know that because there is a there 's a little plate at the bottom that has his signature on it and and the date and and they 're in veneered Paduc, which is a sort of um african sort of rare rare wood um and the carcass is in oak uh and there, you see they 've got these sort of brass inlays now they were built for the old library. And the old library used to be on the the first floor. So basically upstairs. Um they then were felt to be far too heavy. And so they built brought them down in the nineteenth century. And if you see the the plinth on the bottom here, um the plinth here um was put on as a Victorian right uh, uh sort of redesign. So there were kind of layers of history there are w- layers of history in that it. And they're also bookcase, they yeah. are also in they're also owned by the V and A. So they were sold to the V&A oh, as part of as part of um, to raise money for the castle to raise money for the castle, uh, partly to pay death duties. Um, but all, the V&A now are talking about putting them back in their original position on the first floor, which is an enormous undertaking, yeah. and would you know, and would need sort of you know a lot of a lot of sort of financing. But they each are-
1: one's like a kind of vertical grand piano.
2: Yes. That's yes. the kind of scale we're talking they're, about. They're beautiful. You should all go along to Powderham Castle, take a take a tour around with the wonderful guides at Powderham who are so knowledgeable about everything that is in it, mm. so passionate. Um and just go and have a look at these. Um they're 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 part of a much bigger sort of set piece library. That overlooks the 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 garden at the back, the rose garden, and the ex estuary. And one of the other things we've done is we have catalogued five thousand books in the library. Wow! Um, or certainly, sort of digitised the catalogue so that they are they're now you know really usable. So this is a, this is a sort of you know this is a a, a, a library or a bookcases in a in an aristocratic house. Yeah. So the, the the
1: first thing that kind of strikes me about that is um. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I find it quite annoying. And I'll just explain why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's too ordered. It's too ordered. You're, this, you're, here, I'm going to show you a photograph of... of um, that's your tri- that's my, study, isn't it? This They're is your my study, shelves. right? Um, you will notice that my books are not all stacked up vertically. I have horizontal ones on top of others. I've also got loads of other bits and pieces on my shelves. So my... My my like yours actually my my bookcase is for for storing things for to remind me of places I've
2: been and things that I've done. Um, I've got. I, I think in this picture here, there's the birthday card I sent you for your there is recent birthday. Yes, and what I, a, I fine. I've even got a photograph a of
1: myself and a very expensive bottle of wine, um, which I, I kind of torture myself with. I'm not ever allowed to drink that. And <laughs> <laughs> um, um, also, I've got some nice little boxes here. I've got all sorts of things. Anyway, the point is. That mine. Th- this is this is is very much a working library. Yeah. Uh, I've got loose bits of paper here and there as well. Those are not, and 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 there's there's a real a real kind of difference between the two. I I use books for what is inside them. Yeah. Uh, and I use them. That is the word. I, I actually devour them. I, I yeah. kind of destroy them. Consume. I consume them. Yeah. I bend. I tear pages out. I write in them. I fold things over. I make sure they're yeah. mine. I don't do other yeah, people's yeah, books. Yeah. Um, and, but once they're used, they're they're kind of done. I, I never really think about them again. I don't I don't necessarily need to show off that I've read them. Um, just because there would be too many of them. And actually, recently I I sold or no I I gave them to charity. I, like, yeah.
2: Hundreds of books. I don't know how you I don't know how you could do that. But well, I didn't need them anymore. But need, need is an odd word. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it is an odd word. It is the way I, I need these books. It is the way I, I um, bibliomania.
1: Yeah, it's, it's all it's, to do with with yeah. bibliomania. So, yeah. so that that's a kind of it's like a, it's like it's like someone with a really weird book fetish has has made those has made those I mean, those things and all the just let me finish quickly the yeah, uh, yeah. all of the um, there are no gaps in it. Um, I like gaps in a bookcase because gaps for me is knowledge which is going to be acquired. Yeah. Um, Whoever's got that bookcase, he's comfortable with what he's got. All the books are the same size; they're all the same color. It's all very uniform. Yeah. Um, it, it 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 reeks of of I think a period in history when people just started collecting books and they started showing off. Yeah. Showing off books for the, for the purpose of you know.
2: I mean, and this is this is a sort of set piece library, and it's designed to be a reference library. You know, if you look at the development of the gentry house libraries, yeah. You know, this is something that we see the emergence of these um, in the sort of late 16th century through into the 17th century and then in the 18th century, you know, the real sort of explosion of it. And so the libraries before would have been associated with, I suppose, you know, universities and scholarship or the church. But what we're seeing is it moving out into a more sort of secular Mm. domain and people are, you know, this is it it coincides with a whole... um, with a whole sort of architectural development in what is happening to the to the country house, so the country house is becoming something that is uh, you know the rise of the prodigy house, the separation of public and private spaces so the servants are there away we 've got the development of wonderful gardens and landscape, and also you know cultivation of the mind and the library is sort of is part and parcel of that it it coincides also with a you know across a sort of you know a broad sweep of time. The transformation of the aristocracy which is connected to um, humanist education uh, programs so we move the aristocracy moves from being a sort of military group who are essentially running around the place you know chopping people up uh, into uh, a group that are much more um, concerned with being involved in in government and office holding and connected to that is the is is being educated and having um you know, and having books around is an important part of that. And part of the sort of changing concept of, of gentility, so what it is to be a gentleman, to move away from a, you know, gentility connected to, you know, martial valour and, and being a warrior, you know, it, it, it's connected to being cultivated. Um, and so having, you know, having the, what, what's key here is having the leisure time and having the space and having the finance, you equip yourself with a library you know and if you if you're being negative about it you can say that effectively what we have is these sort of country house dilettantes who have the time to be able to do this one of the things that strikes me when you wander around any sort of national trust property with with enormous libraries is who the hell reads it yeah you know um and what what's the purpose of it land hydrock uh, down in cornwall has an amazing library and it is a it is a religious library okay. um, the robart family um, or incredibly religious, and what you've got there is the, you know, you've got the books with all the annotations in there, all the religious books with the annotations that you can actually see a very active, working library. But this library at Powderham, I think, what what's fascinating, and there's there's research to be done on this. I've already talked about the 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 thirteen daughters. You know what role did the library have in their education and upbringing? Oh, who read what? You know who read what and when and when yeah. and how and how do we know that reading is a very silent activity? You look at some of these books, uh, you open them up, and they've got inscriptions in them, so you know whose they are. Um, you've also got um, little annotations, so you actually see that kind of active engagement with with text. But I think you know what you have in a sort of in a sort of in an unempirical way, if you use your historical imagination, you have an enormous reference library there, and you can just imagine the access that people would have had to it.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, the access is a key thing as well, because even though those those bookcases are very kind of they're sort of dominant in their presence, aren't they? I, I would feel nervous walking up to it, browsing, picking up a book, and walking off again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, in some respects that that I think reflects ah, you know, the, the history of these so the, the, one of the interesting things is that in those bookcases they're all as you might do nowadays, the books are stored spine outwards yes but one of the earliest ways of doing it was 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 the other way around so you look at the leaves of the book um, and that's what happened in chained libraries which is an mm. early example of um, public libraries Yeah. so so books were exceptionally valuable at the time the only way to guarantee people didn't nick them was physically to chain them yeah. and you see them occasionally in um, modern things Game of Thrones, Harry Potter they're, they're yeah. chained yep, yep, libraries yep, yep. so the it's all about public access to it as well isn't it yep. public access to knowledge
0: Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to Blue Nile dot com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since nineteen ninety-nine. That's Blue Nile dot com. Blue
2: The history of chained libraries is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you know, um, Hereford Cathedral has it, the Bodleian Library still has it, certain Oxbridge colleges have it, certain sort of old schools. And yeah, it's this idea of being able to make knowledge publicly available, but also what you don't want is people running off with it. Yeah. Um, Post-Reformation, um, and again, everything comes back to the Reformation, um, two books that you had to have, Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. And parish churches would would have to buy those and the way you know and they would want people to be able to read them and but again they wouldn't want them walking off with it and so they would they would chain them up there's a fascinating history of you know the access that ordinary people would have had to books books are relatively relatively expensive and when you buy books when you buy early modern books you get them unbound Hmm. which is why you've got you know when you look at a National Trust Library or you look at Powderham Library and you see the uniform sort of spines on them, you see the uniform uh, covers, it's because you've gone to a bookbinder and you've basically had your design put on it and then the tooled lettering in. Um, and that, of course, is all about, you know, is all about display and showing your personality on your bookcase.
1: I think those powder libraries are interesting because they're a metre deep. And there is yeah, there's another yeah. library in Exeter, um, the uh, Devon and Exeter Institution. It's one yeah. of these wonderful private libraries, yeah. which is just a handful wonderful. of them around, yeah. around the UK. Um, you should all go and find your local private library and join it because they all need the money and the membership and they're wonderful places to go. Um, but I, I'm, I'm I'm certain that in there, there are areas where the the books are... Uh, too deep so you take out a book and then there's another layer of yep. books behind it yep. so so that's all about w- what books you want to hide which ones you want to put on display um, so I just want to think briefly about catalogues because Ooh, it's all to I do with catalogues, um, how we understand what was there in the past so d- d- do d- do the people in Poundrum know what's in that bookcase
2: yes it
1: yes. has they been had catalogued a, they had
2: a yes and lots of libraries are I mean the history of catalogues is fascinating, uh, and we have we have very early catalogues mm. uh, from the sort of you know from the the sort of invention of books. People were making lists of, of the books they, they had, lists and inventory. If you have a look at, if you want to, um, one of the most fascinating ways of looking at the books that people owned, ordinary people owned, is to go to probate inventories, right? Because they will often list list books, and they're a wonderful. Um, Wonderful sort of collections uh, of library catalogs, yeah. Renaissance library catalogs. They know exactly what they had because they had a group of NADFAST, uh, so ret- retired uh, people who came round in I think the seventies and basically just went through. Ah, okay. So, so some, some you know three women turned up every week for a day a week for ten years <laughs> and just went through and cataloged. Yeah, they have got it. Um, and what, what? But the the computer broke that this was all on. No. And so what we did was we basically got everything off three-inch floppy disks. Wow. I I asked a, a computer professor, friend of mine, who's an absolute genius, who has a machine... Uh, that actually reads floppy disks and yeah. we the data came out and it was totally corrupted and then a postdoc just went through everything yeah. and, and ordered it. So we know we know exactly what's in there. We've got titles, authors, dates, and also we know we know inscriptions and marks. So it's an incredibly valuable mm. tool for I think, looking at that. I came across this when I was doing the Silk Road and
1: um I was amazed to actually discover that using catalogs historians um have basically been able to recreate a library in Damascus hmm. from the 6th or 7th century hmm. and so we can we know not only the kind of the intellectual profile of the library as in what was in there but we know physically where it was all stored hmm. which is wonderful so you've got this um sort of a recreated spatial dimension Mm. Of that medieval library, just from the catalogue, hmm. and I think that's wonderful. What they put next to each other, why they, why it was there. Um, some of those books, I know, have been lost. Whether it's Socrates or whatever, yeah, but we 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 know wh- where they were stored, and and we get this kind hmm. of sense of people, of how things were ordered in the medieval mind.
2: Hmm. I want to go back to boxes, ah. the pre the pre history of the bookcase. What do you make of this? That's fabulous. I think I've told you about this before. It looks like a cigar box. It looks like. It does look like a cigar <laughs> box? Yes. This is Charles I's portable library. It's been donated to the Bodleian Library in Oxford fairly recently, and as you all know, you know during the Civil War period, Charles I, um, you know, took his court to. To Oxford, while Parliament occupied London. And what we have here is about just over 50, 59 tiny little volumes that were supposed to be a sort of compendium of knowledge that every gentleman should know. So you've got your classical texts, you've got your religious stuff in there. And this was his sort of little reference guide. You know, of course, when you're moving around, you don't have bookcases that you can, that you can Carry around with you. This is the equivalent of a sort of, you know, of a modern-day Kindle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a, there's a there's an MP in the in the 17th century, um, William Holwell, um, who had four or five of these mm. made for friends as gifts. Uh, but it's this it's, again. It's this idea of knowledge. The bookcase is all about is all about you know. Well, I mean, there are different models. The bookcase is all about organizing things it's about ostentation it's about identity about presentation yes. um it's about referencing your bookcase is all about you know practical practical knowledge um and this is about you know it's about the portability of knowledge and taking it around
1: yeah. with you so it's, for me it's to do with the you know it's just a it's an alternative way into someone's mind particularly if you're writing biographies i've written a yep. biography, I wrote the biography of admiral benbow yeah um and understanding and knowing what books they had on their bookshelves was so important. I mean, perhaps you can read too much into it. Who knows whether they actually liked the book or whether they read the book. Um, But a couple of figures worth thinking about. One is Napoleon. Um, He was an obsessive Ah. reader and he took, he had a personal librarian he took everywhere. um, And his kind of Interest in history, uh, particularly, was um, very strong, and it informed a lot of the way ways that he behaved. A lot of his campaigns, um, and we know a great deal about his books. And but I've got one more which I just stumbled across, which is wonderful. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, when yeah. when the Americans finally found Bin Laden, yeah, and and they shot him, they um, took away his bookcase and they catalogued it, and so we know what books he had in his study mm. um a lot of the i mean uh, uh, only well i think there were um a large amount of them were in english um what are we looking at here turkish al-qaeda the islamic jihad union and internationalization of uzbek jihadism from 2008 um wesley clark 2004 presidential campaign document strategy for addressing threat posed by osama bin laden and al-qaeda the 9-11 commission report
2: um so it's a way of getting into the sort of you know the, the kind of intellectual yeah. framework of his of his mind, intellectual architecture. Yeah, and I think the point to make mind. is
1: that is that it's um you yeah. know it's an ongoing process. This this is about you can, you can use bookcases to understand yeah. understand the the, yeah, yeah. the the present as much as you can. I suppose the, the, past. The,
2: big, the bigger question there is how do you if you're studying an individual in 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 history you know how do you start trying to build up their kind of intellectual you know biography i mean obviously the bookcase is one way so you want to learn what they've read you want to then look if they've got um annotations in it how are they how are they dealing with that um there's a really good um example of john milton's uh family bible that survives and it's from fairly early in early in his life but what you can do you can piece together from the annotations the kind of environment that he was being brought up in, you know, this is the man, wonderful poet, blind later in life, um, you know, effectively justifies the, you know, the execution of of Charles the First. So you've got you can you can look at that by looking at people's books, but also you, the other thing you look at, you start looking at who do they know, you start looking at correspondences, who are they, you know, what are their what are their networks, mm. um, you know, you you know, you plot their life. Where have they been? You plot their journeys. Any any historian who's starting doing a a biography of anyone, you know, has a kind of um, you know day by day, year by year, kind of chronological account of exactly where they are on yeah. those days, and you sort of fit that in. So it's a but 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 you know an important part of that is looking at the you know looking at the library.
1: And I I think that the, the library as a as an archive of of yourself is yep. really interesting. So mine is a it's a it's a kind of it's an archive of longing in some respects in that all of the books I've written, I've written because I didn't know the answer to a question. Yeah. And so there was essentially a gap in my bookcase, which I then filled up with books around the process. And I produced my own book to help answer that. Um, and I've still got gaps in my bookcase now they represent the books that I haven't written yet, which is quite exciting. I don't know what's going to go there but for some people you know I've got a friend who who reads a great deal of of books on um sort of personal improvement and mindfulness hmm. and I know she goes through a sort of
0: hmm. a, a, a a
1: cycle of of um I suppose there's an archive of good intention. She gets loads of books and then piles them up by the bed. And, but then that becomes a representation of laziness because she never reads them. <laughs> so anyway, there's all, all this of the is, different This is things. the
2: family and materials of memory behind you this it's all it's all ordered the bookcase is ordered oh, I see. so i've got notes i've got and i've got reference books and then i've got things that i should read and there are sort of bits of paper sticking out that sort of the comfort of things that the comfort sense. of things daniel miller oh theoretically mm. yeah brilliant um but i yeah. know bookcases are comforting aren't the they? social life of things we these are all things that we should read for our forthcoming we should um forthcoming but finally, finally secret doors Ooh, and Power Power Room is, is full of it's full of secret doors yeah. um and what's interesting here is that the bookcase this is where you open mm. up a you press a little lever and then the bookcase opens up mm. uh, to lead to a, a secret door now several interesting things here what the hell is the purpose of these yeah now they what the, the theory before we arrived was that this was the way in which the servants got in and out but my marvelous colleagues from pen design had a look at and they they can basically look at a piece of wood and and the way in which it's finished and then tell the biography of that opening i mean they're magicians um so basically um what they said was that the finish inside a lot of these openings are is basically too good to be for for servants that in actual fact what this is about it's about the people who own the house having this kind of secret access so it's the way on one of the one of the secret doors leads into the fabulous music room um and i think it's all about making a sort of you know your own entrance Mm. secret entrance into it but the other thing that's interesting is you look at the spines here uh on the actual door and they're just glued on right they're not proper books no so what books do you choose? <laughs> what <laughs> books do you choose to glue on mm,
1: to your, your secret bookcase? door? Yeah, I have, no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Please send us um photographs of your bookcases. Brilliant. I want to see them. That was fun. We've gone all over the place. Where that. have we gone? We've gone from uh, Afghanistan to Napoleon to chain libraries, Powderham Castle, Powderham Castle, um secret doors and bibliomania.
2: Excellent. It was it was very wonderful. Enjoyable. Thanks for listening. Wonderful.
1: Bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter at
2: Planning for your next trip? The History MC.